Greetings and salutations. I am Ken Barrios, your success coach. I hope you unleash your talents and maximize your impact without compromising your time. It is my pleasure to read the 16 Laws of Success by Napoleon Hill, written in 1928 and now public domain. My hope is that you will take from these small segments of reading the insight and wisdom of a philosophy that has over a hundred years of practical experimentation. With that said, let us begin. Imagination is the workshop of the human mind, wherein old ideas and established facts may be reassembled into new combinations and put to new uses. The modern dictionary defines imagination as follows: quote, "The act of constructive intelligent intellect and grouping the materials of knowledge or thought into new, original, and rational systems. The constructive or creative faculty, embracing poetic, artistic, philosophic, scientific." Ethical imagination, quote, the picturing power of the mind, the formation of mental images, pictures, or mental representation of objects or ideas, particularly the objects of sense perception and of mathematical reasoning. Also, the reproduction and combination, usually within more or less irrational or abnormal modification, of the images or ideas of memory or recalled facts of experiences. End quote. Imagination has been called the creative power of the soul. But this is somewhat abstract and goes more deeply into the meaning than is necessary from the <clears throat> viewpoint of the student of this course who wishes to use the course only as a means of attaining material or monetary advantages in life. If you have mastered, thoroughly understood the preceding lessons of this reading course, you know that the materials out of which you built your definite chief aim were assembled and combined in your imagination. You also know that self-confidence and initiative and leadership must be created in your imagination before they can become a reality. For it is in the workshop of your imagination that you will put the principle of auto-suggestion into operation in creating these necessary qualities. This lesson on imagination might be called the hub of this reading course, because every lesson of this course leads to this lesson and makes use of the principle upon which it is based. Just as all the telephone wires lead to the exchange office, for their source of power, you will never have a definite purpose in life, you will never have self-confidence, you will never have initiative and leadership unless you first create these qualities in your imagination and see yourself in possession of them. Just as the oak tree develops from the germ that lies in the acorn and the bird develops from the germ that lies asleep in the egg, so would your material achievements grow out of the organized plans that you create in your imagination. First comes the thought, then the organization of that thought into ideas and plans, then transformation of those plans into reality. The beginning, as you will observe, is in your imagination. The imagination is both interpretive and creative in nature. It can examine facts, concepts, and ideas, and it can create new combinations, plans out of these. Though it is interpretive capacity, the imagination has one power not generally attributed to it, namely, the power to register vibrations and thought waves that are put into motion from outside sources. Just as the radio receiving apparatus picks up the vibrations of sound, the principles through which this interpretive capacity of the imagination functions is called telepathy, the communication of thought from one mind to another. At long or short distances, without the aid of physical or mechanical appliance, in the manner explained in the introductory lesson of this course, telepathy is an important factor to a student who is preparing to make effective use of imagination.
for the reason that this telepathic capacity of the imagination is constantly picking up thought waves and vibrations of every description, so-called snap judgment and hunches, which prompt one to form an opinion or decide upon a course of action that is not in harmony with logic and reason, are usually the result of a stray thought waves that have registered in the imagination. The recently developed radio apparatus has enabled us to understand that the elements of the ether are so sensitive and alive that all manner of sound waves are constantly flying here and there with lightning-like speed. You have only to understand the modern radio outfit to understand also the principle of telepathy. So well has the principle been established through psychological research that we have an abundance of proof that two minds which are properly attuned and in harmony with each other may send or receive thought at long distances without the aid of mechanical apparatus of any sort. Rarely have two minds become so well-tuned that unbroken chains of thought could be registered in this manner. But there is evidence sufficient to establish the fact that parts of the organized thought have been picked up. That you may understand how closely interwoven are the 15 factors upon which this reading course is based. Consider, for example, what happens when a salesman who lacks confidence in himself and in his good walks in to see a prospective buyer. Whether this prospective buyer is conscious of it or not, his imagination immediately senses the lack of confidence in the salesman's mind, the salesman's own thoughts, and actually undermining his efforts. This will explain from another angle why self-confidence is one of the most important factors entering into a great struggle for success. The principle of telepathy and the law of attraction through which like attracts like explain many a failure. If the mind has a tendency to attract from the ether those thought vibrations which harmonize with the dominating thoughts of a given mind, you can easily understand why a negative mind that dwells upon failure and lacks the vitalization force of self-confidence would not attract a positive mind that is dominated by thoughts of success. Perhaps these explanations are somewhat abstract to the students who has not made any particular study of the functioning processes of the mind, but it seems necessary to interject them into this lesson as a means of enabling the student to understand and make practical use of the subject of this lesson. The imagination is too often regarded merely as an indefinite, untraceable, indescribable something that does nothing but create fiction. It is this popular disregard of the powers of the imagination that has made necessary these more or less abstract references to one of the most important subjects of this course. Not only is the subject of the imagination an important factor in this course, but it is also one of the most interesting subjects, as you observe when you begin to see how it affects all that you do toward the achievement of your definite chief aim. You will see how important it is, this subject of imagination, when you stop to realize that it is the only thing in the world over which you have absolute control. Others may deprive you of your material wealth, cheat you in a thousand ways, but no man can deprive you of the control or use of your imagination. Men may deal with you unfairly, and as men often do, they may deprive you of your liberty, but they cannot take, you, take from you the privilege of using your imagination as you wish. The most inspiring poem in all literature was written by Leigh Hunt while he was a poverty-stricken prisoner in an English prison where he had been unjustly confined because of his advanced views on politics. His poem is entitled Abu Ben Adam, and it is here reprinted as a reminder that one of the great things a man may do in his own imagination 
is to forgive those who have dealt unjustly with him. Skipping the poem. Okay. Civilization itself owes its existence to such a man as Lehunt, in whose fertile imaginations have been pictured the higher and nobler standards of human relationship. Abu Ben Adam is a poem that will never die, thanks to this man who is pictured in his imagination the hope of an ideal that is constructive. The major trouble with this world today lies in our lack of understanding of the power of the imagination. For if we understood this great power, we could use it as a weapon with which to wipe out poverty and misery and injustice and persecution, and this could be done in a single generation. This is a rather broad statement, but no one understands better than the author of this course how useless such a statement would be if the principle upon which it is founded were not explained in terms of the most practical work, workday nature. Therefore, let us be described to what it is meant. To make this description understandable, we must accept as a reality the principle of telepathy, through the operation of which every thought we release is registered itself in the minds of other people. We need to devote no time to proving that telepathy is a reality for the reason that this lesson on imagination cannot be of slightest value to the student who has not sufficiently informed himself to understand and accept telepathy as an established principle. We will take it for granted that you are one who accepts and understands this principle. You have often heard of the, quote, mob psychology, quote, which is nothing more or less than some strong dominating idea that has been created in the mind of one or more persons and registers itself in the minds of other persons through the principle of te telepathy. So strong is the power of mob psychology that two men fighting in the street will often start a, quote, free-for-all, quote, fight in which all bystanders would, will engage each other in battle without even knowing what they are fighting about or with whom they are fighting. On Armistice Day, 1918, we had evidence in the abundance to prove the reality of the principle of telepathy on a scale such as the world had never witnessed before. I remember distinctly that the impression made on my mind on that eventful day. So strong was the impression that it awakened me at about 3 o'clock in the morning, just as effectively as if someone had aroused me by physical force. As I sat up in bed, I knew that something out of the ordinary had happened, and so strange and impelling was the effect of this experience that I got up, dressed myself, went into the streets of Chicago, where I was met by thousands of others who had felt the touch of the same influence. Everyone is asking, what has happened? What has happened was this. Millions of men had received instructions to cease fighting. Their combined joy set into motion a thought wave that swept the entire world and made itself felt in every normal mind that was capable of registering this thought wave. Perhaps never in the history of the world had so many millions of people thought of the same thing in the same manner at the same time. For once in the history of the world, everybody felt something in common. And the effect of this harmonized thought was that the worldwide, quote, mob psychology, quote, that we witnessed on Armistice Day. In the connection with the statement, it will be helpful if you recall that what was said in the method of creating a mastermind through the harmony of thought of two or more persons in the introductory lessons of this course. We will bring the application of this principle a, near, a little nearer home by showing how it may be made to make or break the harmonious working relationship of a business or industry. You may not have satisfied yourself that it was the harmony of thought of millions of soldiers that registered in the minds of the people of the world and caused the, quote, mob 
psychology condition that was everywhere in evidence on Armistice Day. But you will need no proof that a disgruntled person always disturbs everyone with whom he comes in contact. It is well-established fact that such a person in a place of employment will disrupt the entire organization. Break, break. I would like to have a quick word from our sponsor. Thank you for your time. Let's get back to the reading. The time is almost at hand when neither the workers nor the employers will tolerate the typical crouch inside of a workplace of employment for the reason that his state of mind registers itself in the minds of those about him, resulting in distrust, suspicion, and lack of harmony. The time is near at hand when the workers in a place of employment will no more tolerate one of their own rank and file who is typically grouched than they would a poisonous snake. Apply the principle another way. Place among a group of workers one person whose personality is a positive, optimistic type and who makes it his business to sow the seeds of harmony around the place where he works, and his influence will reflect itself in every person who works with him. If every business is the extended shadow of one man, as Emerson stated, then it behooves that one man to reflect the shadow of confidence and good cheer and optimism and harmony, that these qualities may in turn reflect themselves in all those who are connected with the business. In passing to the next step in our application of the power of imagination, it is the attainment of success. We will cite some of the most recent and modern examples of its use in the accumulation of material wealth and the perfection of some leading inventions of the world. In, the, in approaching this next step, it should be borne ill mind that, quote, there is nothing new under the sun, quote, lift on this earth may be likened to the great kaleidoscope before which the scenes and facts of material substance are ever shifting and changing. And all the men can do is take these facts and substances and rearrange them in new combination. The process through which this is done is called imagination. We have stated that the imagination is both the interpretive and creative in its nature. It can receive impressions or ideas from out of these. It can form new combinations. As our first illustration of the power of the imagination in modern business achievement, we will take the case of Clarence Saunders, who organized the Piggly Wiggly system of self-help grocery stores. Saunders was a grocery clerk in a small southern retail store. One day he was standing in a line with a tin tray in his hands, waiting his turn to secure food in a cafeteria. He had never earned more than $20 a week before that time. He had, and no one had ever noticed anything about him that indicated unusual ability. But something took place in his mind, and as he stood in that line awaiting people, but that put his imagination to work, with the aid of his imagination, he lifted that self-help idea out of the cafeteria in which he found it, not creating anything new, merely shifting an old idea into new use, and set it down into a grocery store. In an instant, the Piggly Wiggly Chain Store grocery plan had been created, and Clarence Saunders, the $20 a week grocery clerk, rapidly became a million-dollar chain store groceryman of America. Where, in the transaction, do you see the slightest indication of performance that you could not duplicate? Analyze this transaction and measure it by the previous lessons of this course. You will see that the Clarence Sounders created a very definite purpose. He supported this purpose with sufficient self-confidence to cause him to take the initiative to transform it into reality. This, His imagination was the workshop in which these three factors, definite chief purpose, self-confidence, and initiative, were brought together and made to supply the momentum for the first plan in the, in the organization of the Piggly Wiggly plan. 
Thus, a great idea is exchanged into realities. When Thomas A. Edison invented the incandescent electric light bulb, he merely brought together two old, well-known principles and associated them in a new combination. Mr. Edison had practically all others who were informed on the subject of electricity, knew that a light could be produced by heating a small wire with electricity, but the difficult problem was to do this without burning the wire in two. In his experimental research, Mr. Edison tried out every conceivable sort of wire, hoping to find some substance that would withstand the tremendous heat to which it had to be subjected before a light could be produced. His invention was half completed, but it was of no practical value until he could find the missing link that would supply the other half. After thousands of tests and each combining of old ideas in his imagination, Edison finally found the missing link. In his study of physics, he had learned, as all other students of the subject learn, that there can be no combustion without the presence of oxygen. He, of course, knew that the difficulty of the electric wire apparatus was the lack of a method through which to control the heat. When it occurred to him that there could be no combustion where there was no oxygen, he placed a little wire of his electric light apparatus inside a glass globe, shut out all oxygen, and lo, the mighty incandescent light was a reality. When the sun goes down tonight, you step into the you step to the wall, press a button, and bring it back again. A performance that would have mystified the people a few generations ago. And yet, there is no mystery back of your act. Thanks to the use of Edison's imagination, you have simply brought together two principles, both of which were in existence since the beginning of time. No one who knew him intimately ever accredited Andrew Carnegie with unusual ability or the power of genius, except in one respect that his ability to select men who could and would cooperate in a spirit of harmony in carrying out his wishes. But what additional ability did he need in the accumulation of his millions of dollars? Any man who understands the principle of organized effort, as Carnegie understood it, knows enough about men to be able to select just those types that are needed in the performance of a given task, could duplicate all the Carnegie accomplished. Carnegie was a man of imagination. He first created a definite purpose, and then surrounded himself with men who had the training and the vision and the capacity necessary for the transformation of that purpose into reality. Carnegie did not always create his own plans for the attainment of the definite purpose. He made it his business to know what he wanted. Then he found the men who could create plans to which to procure it. And that was not only imagination, it was genius of the highest order. But it, could, but it should be made clear that men of Mr. Carnegie's type are not the only ones who can make profitable use of imagination. This great power is available to the beginner in business as it is to the man who has, quote, arrived. One morning, Charles M. Schwab's private car was backed on the sidetrack at his Bethlehem steel plant. As he alighted from his car, he was met by a young man, stenographer, who announced that he had come to make sure that any letters or telegrams Mr. Schwab might wish to write would be taken care of promptly. No one told this man to be on hand, but he had enough imagination to see that his being there would not hurt his chances of advancement. From that day on, the young man was, quote, marked for promotion by Mr. Schwab, singled him out for promotion because he had done 
that which any of the dozens or so other stenographers in the employ of the Bethlehem Steel Company might have done, but didn't. Today, this same man is the president of one of the largest drug concerns in the world and has all the world's goods and wares that he wants and much more than he needs. A few years ago, I received a letter from a young man who has just finished business college and who wanted to secure employment in my office. With his letter, he sent a crisp $10 bill that had never been folded. The letter read as follows. I have just finished a commercial course in first class business college and I wanted a position in your office because I realized how much it would be worth to a young man just starting out his business career to have the privilege of working under the direction of a man like you. If enclosed $10 bill is sufficient to pay for the first time you would spend in giving me the first week's instructions, I want you to accept it. I will work that first month without pay and you may set my wages after that at whatever I prove to be of worth. I want this job more than I ever wanted anything in my life, and I am willing to make it any making any reasonable sacrifice to get it. Very cordially. Quote, this young man got his chance in my office. His imagination gained for him the opportunity that he wanted, and before the first month had expired, the president of the life insurance company who heard of this incident offered the young man a private secretary Ship, secretaryship, at a substantial salary. He is today an official of one of the largest life insurance companies in the world. Thank you for your time today. I hope you learned as much as I did in this reading. If you ever desire to connect with me, you can email me at kb at keybravo.com. That is kb at keybravo.com. Have a wonderful day and may you be blessed with all the success you endeavor.